Welcome to Inside Motorsport. This week we catch up with Lachlan Mansell and talk Formula One supercars and Australian superbikes. I hope you'll stay with us. Well, Lachlan Mansell joins us on the line, and Lachlan, it's been a stop-start affair 2021 for many motorsports, but Formula One has worked out a way of being able to get racing and to stay racing in uh, a COVID-stricken Europe. Indeed. So good to see that the Formula One championship's been able to progress pretty much uninterrupted so far, even if it has involved the series having to massage and readjust their calendar on the fly and we're seeing some double header events cropping up at, at some circuits including the red bull ring in austria which hosted the most recent round of the world championship styrian grand prix and of course they're backing up this weekend and it has been a race in two Max Verstappen up against Lewis Hamilton. And those two have really had a very interesting 2021. They certainly have. It's been a fantastic rivalry between the two of them. And at the start of the year, it looks like it was probably Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton that had a slight advantage. But in the last couple of rounds, definitely the pendulum has swung in favour of Max Verstappen and the Red Bull racing team and uh, he now holds an 18 point championship lead and critically it's been fascinating this year to see how the red bulls are going because sergio perez has joined the team and verstappen fits on top of the championship but sergio perez sits third and for many many years now we've seen mercedes two drivers out in front and dominating the driver standings I think that's one of the interesting things, Craig, the fact that Valtteri Bottas this season has struggled to consistently match Lewis Hamilton, whereas Sergio Perez has been consistently a lot closer to Max Verstappen. And certainly in the last couple of seasons, that's been one of the weaknesses for the Red Bull team is that Verstappen's been the lone wolf. He's been the only one of the Red Bull drivers who's been able to take up to the Mercedes. He hasn't really had a teammate who's been capable of challenging for race wins, but now with Sergio Perez, there's a driver there who, more often than not, you're going to see challenging for the podium, and as we saw at Baku, if circumstances fall in his favour, he's very capable of taking race victories as well. Now, the standout of the year, I think, at this point, is the McLaren Mercedes driver of Lando Norris. I don't disagree with you on that because he's had a very good start to the season, a few podium finishes. He was running inside the top three in the championship standings for a number of rounds as well, and he's been very consistently banking the points. But um, much to the, I suppose, the disappointment of Australian F1 fans, Daniel Ricciardo has not been able to reach the same sorts of standards. He struggled in both qualifying and racing, and he's being comprehensively outperformed by Norris in the championship. Now, as we look at the team that certainly has the, well, almost biggest following, Ferrari, what have you made of Leclerc and Sainz and their partnership this year? Ferrari have definitely improved this season. They had a terrible 2020 season where 
Now, both of their cars were uncompetitive. Sebastian Vettel struggled to get points even in a lot of the races. So this year, it's certainly not as bad, but at the same time, they're still, I don't think, quite where they want to be. Um, Leclerc still, you'd have to say, definitely the number one driver at Ferrari, but Sykes has been solid. He's had some good results, and uh, he has, I suppose, eased himself into that team pretty well. So... I think once Ferrari starts to produce more competitive cars, you'll see both drivers up the front and hopefully challenging the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull. And Pierre Gasly in the AlphaTauri Honda has also demonstrated some great speed. He sits eighth in the championship, but he's one of those drivers that has really rebuilt his career and rebuilt his profile. It's amazing, isn't it? He got promoted to the Red Bull team. Uh, then after some lacklustre performances, he got demoted back to the Alpha Tori team or Toro Rosso as it was previously. And he's had better results so far driving for Alpha Tori than what he was getting at Red Bull. Got the race win, of course, last year in the Italian Grand Prix. And this year, once again, he's shown some great performances. He got on the podium at Baku and um, definitely demonstrating his driving ability. Now, what do you make of the two Formula World champions, Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel's years? I think Fernando Alonso's been solid in the Alpine racing team. Not easy to come back into Formula One after spending a few seasons out of the driver's seat. And he's had a few good race performances. Um, He's definitely been every bit as good, if not a bit better, than his teammate Esteban Ocon. And Sebastian Vettel, I thought, his start to the season was disappointing, but as the season's gone on, he has improved. Um, he was getting outperformed by his teammate at Aston Martin, Lance Stroll, in the first probably three or four rounds. But then once we got to, to Baku, where he was able to finish on the podium, um, we were starting to see signs of the Sebastian Vettel evolve. So as he's becoming accustomed to the new environment and the new car, he's becoming more and more competitive. Now, we can't leave our chat without talking about Daniel Ricciardo. He has had what would have to be described as a disappointing switch to the McLaren Mercedes and even just performances over the race weekends. He's second fastest in free practice too and then come qualifying, he's uh, mired in the mid-pack. The famous Daniel Ricciardo smile is not something that we've seen often enough in season 2021. And I think the worrying thing is there's not a lot of answers as to why his form is not, you know, not even in the same district as Lando Norris. Um, You know, I think a lot of people expected that it was probably going to take him a few rounds to get up to Spain with joining a new team, but we're now getting towards the midpoint of the season and there's not really any signs that he's going to be improving anytime soon. So whether it's just him struggling to adapt to the car with his driving technique or that he hasn't been able to quite get the right chemistry happening in terms of his relationship with the engineers and the mechanics of the McLaren team, he's just not really been able to string any competitive performances together. And it has been a, a very disappointing season so far for Daniel Ricciardo definitely playing second fiddle to his teammate Lando Norris. Moving our attention now to something that you've got yourself fully immersed in in 2021, the Australian Superbikes Championship. How did your relationship with them come about? So I started off when I was still working at Wake Park doing some commentary for the Superbikes when they appeared at Wakefield Park back in 2016. 
and I've maintained a relationship with the crew at Australian Superbike Championship and Motorcycling Australia since then, and it's expanded into a more permanent role now with commentary and and media and PR uh, work at their events as well. And the championship is really strong at the moment. Lots of manufacturer support, very high-quality array of talented riders in the field, and at Hidden Valley, for the first time since 2013, we had the Superbikes and the Supercars Championship appearing at the same event on the same weekend for a 2 plus 4 race meeting, which was very popular among the fans. It has had its challenges, the Superbike calendar, losing round one, but compared to some other motorsports, you've had a clean run for the next three rounds, and... The next one in Morgan Park, well, I think that might be in a bit of trouble, but it's still a while away before August. We keep our fingers crossed. I mean, in this era of border closures and COVID case numbers that are are being updated by the day, you just never know. But I think the Hidden Valley round was, uh, was very positive in terms of the show that the series put on for the crowd on the track. Unfortunately, we had a couple of high-profile casualties, most notably Troy Herfos. We saw that he got the win in race one after a spectacular battle with Wayne Maxwell that came right down to the last lap of that race. But then in race number two, Herfos had a high-speed impact with the air fence at turn number four, uh, ended up in hospital with a broken femur and uh, I think a broken humerus as well. And that's a great shame for one of our championship contenders, one of our main title protagonists. It looks like he's going to be out of racing for uh, at least, you know, the next few months, I would imagine, which is going to take him right out of championship contention. Now, we're starting to see, uh, as we do in a lot of Australian motorsport, a number of second and third generation riders lining up on the grid. And when you start seeing names like Bayless and West, you go, the sport is certainly uh, keeping... It in the family. Indeed, and, and overseas as well. Obviously, we've got Remy Gardner, um, a second-generation racer, doing extremely well in the Moto2 World Championship this year. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's the sons of the guns that are really performing well. So, uh, here in Australia, Ollie Bayless, son of Troy, getting his first race win and first round win in that superbike round at Hidden Valley. And uh, he is a talent, there's no doubt about that. Still only very young and still only 17 years old. And he is absolutely a motorcycling star of the future. And numbers seem to be quite strong across the championship so far. 25 different riders have entered. Uh, yeah, and I think probably the, the even more significant thing there, Craig, is apart from the fact that the fields have been strong, it's the depth of talent and, and the the number of riders who are able to be up the front fighting for race wins on any given weekend. Wayne Maxwell and Troy Herfos, they've been the two main contenders, but then you've got others like Mike Jones, uh, Brian Starring on the Kawasaki has been strong, uh, Crew Halliday and Aidan Wagner on the Yamahas, they're both capable of winning races as well. Um, and even, you know, riders who've had international experience who've come back to Australia to compete in the Australian Superbike Championship, like Ant West and Arthur Cecis, um, they're certainly not riders that you can rule out of challenging for victories either. So the numbers are good, but it's the depth of competition, which is the best thing about ASBK at the moment. Mm. And, of course, Ducatis, Hondas, BMWs, Yamahas, Kawasaki's, it's a great mix of manufacturers. Mm-hmm. 
And all of the different bikes have got strengths and weaknesses at different circuits or in different parts of each circuit. So we know, for example, that the Ducati is very strong in terms of their straight line performance. The, uh, the Honda, very, very sweet handling motorcycle. Um, and then you've got the Yamaha, which is a really good all-round machine. And not only that, but there's, unlike a lot of car racing these days, there's no control tyre in superbikes. So uh, there's a bit of this tyre war happening as well, where you've got riders on Pirelli, Dunlop and Michelin tyres. And again, the different tyres have got strengths and weaknesses in different track conditions or in different weather conditions. And that can create some interesting storylines as well. And also, whilst we're talking, the Alpine Star Superbike Championship, there is uh, the other feeder divisions as well with Supersport, the R3 Cup, the Junior Cup and the sidecars. Yeah, and I think some of your listeners, Craig, might not necessarily be that au fait with how it works, but basically the Supersport class is for the, the 600cc motorcycle, so it's basically the second tier of national motorcycling competition here in Australia. Then you've got the Supersport 300 class, which is for the 300cc production-based motorcycle. So it's a step down again. You get lots of junior riders in that class. The Yamaha Finance R3 Cup is a one-make series, um, which is exclusively for the Yamaha R3 motorcycles. You've got the Oceania Junior Cup, which is for riders from 12 up to 16 years old. So that's your your really junior development category. And then uh, the sidecars, which is very popular among spectators, where you've got the riders and the passengers as well who have to lean at all sorts of obscure angles to keep the sidecar balanced to make sure that it doesn't tip over through the corners. And that's always a lot of fun to watch. Well, the television package too for 2021 has been uh, a big boost for the Australian Superbike Championship as well. It has been. So apart from the live television on SBS and the live streaming at most of the rounds, at the Supercars event, the, the bikes were also shown live as part of the Supercars coverage on both Fox Sports and Channel 7, which was um, very much appreciated, I think, by all the fans. Well, let's turn our attention now to something else. It's super, super cars. And we see the leaderboard with Shane Van Gisbergen, who got off to an electric start, now being hauled in a little bit. But it's by his teammate, Jamie Winkup, in his final year of racing. Not much, though, and uh, certainly at uh, Hidden Valley. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen getting a couple of race victories very much cemented himself at the top of the championship standings. But the battle for second in the championship is the the intriguing one, Craig, because you've got, like you say, Wink up in there as well, uh, putting in some very consistent performances in his final full-time season. Chaz Mostert in the Walkinshaw Andretti United Commodore. He got a race win at Hidden Valley. Um, he's been consistently there or thereabouts this season. Cameron Waters, you would have to say, is probably still the top four runner. But uh, I'll tell you what, Will Davison was pretty impressive up in Darwin with a couple of second-place finishes. And he's riding the mix of drivers that you would be talking about fighting for that second position in the championship now as well. So Van Gisbergen has bolted, but uh, plenty of interesting battles and contests to watch um, in terms of the rest of the field, that's for sure. Yes, you see people like Mark Winterbottom in the Irwin Racing Car, Nick Perkett, and even James Courtney, who 
is a name that everyone's familiar with, but they are all fighting it out in the top 10. And then 10 and 11, William Brown and Brody Kostecki, two rookies to the series that are seeing themselves getting up towards the front of the field. Yeah, and I've been impressed with the performances from both those drivers. I think that a lot of people were probably expecting that with the departure of David Reynolds and Anton Di Pasquale from Erebus Motorsport at the end of last year, that Erebus might struggle a bit this year. But that hasn't been the case. The two full-time rookie drivers have both put in some really good performances. We saw how well Brody went in the wet at Sandown and Will Brown's had some really good results too. So both of those drivers proving themselves to be very capable behind the wheel and uh, they're making sure that Erebus is still punching solidly in the midfield, if not a bit higher up. Yeah, and four points between those two drivers. So as far as teamwork goes, I think you'd have to say that's the closest split between the uh, two drivers, and I don't know who's number one, number two, in the team. And they're also fighting for what you would describe as the unofficial rookie of the year on. So I think that'll be a pretty hot contest between those two. We know how competitive they both are. They've got great personalities off the track as well, Brody and Will. And I think that the uh, the fight between them to, to end up as the highest placed rookie, that's going to keep driving the Erebus team forward. So looking forward to uh, seeing what results they can come up with throughout the rest of the season. Now, one of the big talking points of the Supercars Championship is not what's going on the track in 2021, but what's happening in 2022. And it it does seem that there is a resolve that by August next year, we will see Mustangs racing Camaros in this division. The whole introduction of the Gen 3 supercars, that's going to be a massive storyline next year because the fact that they're making such a massive change to the mechanical package, completely changing the mechanical specifications of the cars mid-season, that's going to throw a huge spanner into the works in terms of how the championship will play out because... What do teams do? Do they focus on getting a good start to the season in their existing car and trying to build up a championship lead that way? Or do they focus on development of their Gen 3 car and look to finish off the season strongly with the updated mechanical package? It's going to be a championship in two halves. And it's probably not the ideal situation. I think that supercars management would have much rather had the same car for the whole year, but... Certainly, it's going to create some pretty interesting stories to keep an eye on throughout next season. Yes, it will do indeed. And Lachlan, always a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Motorsport. Always a pleasure to catch up with you as well, Craig. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.